Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat, the only podcast that brings together the reporters and writers who cover Arsenal on a regular basis. I'm Sam Dean from The Telegraph and today I'm joined by Simon Collington of the Evening Standard and Art de Rocher of The Athletic as we look back on Saturday's thrilling victory for Arsenal at Villa Park. All three of us were there on Saturday for what I think was probably one of the best games of the Premier League season so far and potentially a defining match in Arsenal's push for their first league title in almost two decades. Simon, we'll start with you. Firstly, how big a win was this, do you think? And what did you make of the overall performance? Um... Yeah, a, a huge win, particularly given the context of City obviously dropping points after and Arsenal going back top of the Premier League. Um, I, I mean, I almost feel like it, it was a bigger game than the City match itself after they lost that game. I just felt you could feel, particularly at half time, I think a few of us were chatting in the in the press area saying, just struggling where Arsenal were going to win the game. They'd sort of gifted Villa two goals, which they'd done against City. They were lacking the control that they have in matches before. And it just it just felt like the team was sort of drifting towards a result that really would sap the morale out of them. And I, th- I think the celebrations from the players, the staff said it all. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Richard Key said about it, but the way, you know, Xhaka had been substituted, sprinted right the way across the pitch, jumped on teammates, away fans. You know, Arteta and his staff, I know Arteta's quite a passionate bloke, but he's not normally to be that sort of fired up, I think said it all. And that will speak volumes about it. But also, as I'm sure we'll get onto, the manner of that first half performance will not be lost on Arteta. And I think this week, when they've got a clear week, which they don't have until till April after, there's going to be things from that first half that need to be addressed this week. Oh, you wrote the Athletic about this being an example of the good, the bad and the ugly for Arsenal. What, what, what was it, as I mentioned there, some of the issues in the first half, what was it that you didn't like about this performance? It just seemed, and Simon did touch on it, it just seemed too easy for Villa to score um, when they did, obviously. Um, what we've kind of become used to in the first half of the season is Arsenal almost suffocating teams when they do have the ball and when they don't have it as well and they haven't done that for a good few weeks I don't think the last time they did it was against Manchester United at the Emirates and um, again I feel like Saliba probably for the first goal just allowed Watkins to control that situation and then for um Coutinho's goal there's just no pressure on the ball at all until it's too late and those were the small things that probably just went against Arsenal in the previous games as well because it's not as if they were blown away by Manchester City or uh, Everton either and you can probably mention Brentford too because they drew that game they were quite close but there was just something missing and I think that first half against Villa just kind of solidified what was actually missing. Just a lack of real urgency and intensity off the ball that had been there previously. Simon, was that the main change, do you think, after the break? What, what was the difference? I mean, we focused already on the sort of issues in the first half, but obviously Arsenal won this game and it was 
hugely important victory. So how do they how do they turn it around? I think they just. I mean, we heard a bit from Zinchenko uh, and sort of Ramsell after the game, and both of them made the point that you know Arteta's team talk was quite succinct, and I think that's why the players came out early for the second half because essentially it was basically getting back to what Arsenal have done all season and doing the basics of what they needed. And I think that was, you know, playing with greater urgency in the way they were passing, getting the ball forward, um, you know, not allowing Villa the ease of playing out from the back. And we know Unai Emery teams, they want to play out from the back. And it was pointed out by, by James Olly of ESPN. We were sort of, you know, saying that Ben White had been poor for that second goal and Moreno gets in too easily. But, you know, he made the point, if you look at the start of the goal, Martinez just rolls it out to the centre-back, turn, give it to the full-back. And when Arsenal's forward line isn't pressing, I think the defence got exposed. So that was something that was corrected. And I know you wrote about it, Sam, but I think Jorginho did have a big impact. And we'll talk about, you know, he's lacking probably the physical prowess that Party's got. But I think in terms of a progressive passer who gets the team up the pitch, I think we saw in that second half the value he had. And certainly I felt like he was a big player and just calming things down and getting the ball forward and getting Arsenal doing what they've done for the large parts of this season, which is playing, you know, fast, incisive football in, in the final third of the pitch. Before we move on, let's hear from Alexander Zinchenko, who you mentioned spoke to the reporters in the mix zone afterwards. So we've got a bit audio clip for that. And then we'll go on to talk a bit more about Jorginho. He is a winner, as like I said already, uh, since he arrived. He knows how to win the games. He knows how to win the titles. So uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, player, so we are so happy for him that he helped today us so much, and uh, yeah, we keep going. We have a lot of leaders in our dressing room, and uh, I would say this kind of mix between young players and experienced players is uh, it's so good, and also our staff, you know, pushing ourselves to go forward and to to improve ourselves. So it's a good mix, you know, between young players and experience. Simon, you mentioned Jorginho. Um, how would you describe his his early impact at Arsenal? so far? Uh, I think very, very promising. Um, I know a few supporters probably weren't too convinced when Arsenal moved for him. And I think a few of our supporters felt the same. But when we saw the fee and the contract length, I think people came round to it. And, you know, Arteta spoke well in the press conference before this game about his influence on the young players and the way he's leading. Um, you know, I'd written about it on the Friday and the way he sort of settled in he moved to the local area. I think he was sick, like a lot of us getting around that M25. Struck up a good bond with Xhaka. Um, and I just feel like at a time when, you know, Arsenal need sort of cool heads in this title race, um, players who've been there, players who've done it, I think someone like him will actually have a, a greater impact than originally thought it would be. And I think the way Ramsdale spoke about him, um, he was stressing the point that the young players have been sort of picking Jorginho's brains and Jinchenko's brains about in a difficult week, you know, what do we do? And the way he stood up on Saturday, I think bodes well for the future and on the pitch, playing well and off the pitch, doing well. So I think for Arsenal, it's been a, a very good start to life with Jorginho in that squad. Obviously, it wasn't it wasn't his goal um, in the end, technically. It was Emi Martinez's own goal, but it was very much his moment and it felt like his second half, really, in the way that he'd grabbed the game by the scuff of the neck and, and sort of controlled that tempo. And we could see the impact in the second half on, on Odegaard and how with the platform behind him, which Jorginho was really helping to provide, Odegaard started to purr. And, and that's what got Arsenal going, as, as we know, tends to be the case. 
with Jorginho playing as well as he did this weekend, I think he was the man of the match in most people's eyes. Do, do you see it being a struggle for Thomas Partey to get back in? And how's that how's that going to work? Or should we just, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, be thankful that they have two quality options now? Yeah, um, I'd actually say it was more than just the second half for Jorginho. I personally thought he was very good for about 80 minutes. Um the moment that kind of stuck out to me, obviously where the press box is positioned is kind of where he was a lot of the time in the first half. Um, And there's a moment just after the goal where Ben White was probably way too narrow, I think in the opening 10 minutes and Jorginho's turning him to, I was about about to uh, swear there, but he's telling him to basically push a bit wider. Um, And then Arteta does the same thing like two minutes later. And then from there, that's when the big, big uh, Eddie Nketiah, Tyron Mings deflection chance comes from. Um, And then obviously throughout the rest of the afternoon, Ben White was all the way down that right-hand side. But um, in terms of, I guess, the dilemma when when Partey comes back, it's an interesting one because I don't know if he has the athleticism to maybe push up into... Um, a more advanced role if it stays as that midfield free. Um, but then again, we all thought the same thing about Granit Xhaka. Um, I, I I just feel Arteta is quite set on the way that midfield looks at the minute. So I would understand if Jorginho dropped to the bench. Um, and I don't really think that's an issue. Um, the fact that he has come in and he's encouraged people as as well as he has done I think bodes well and is also you've got to remember um there's going to be midweek games coming up soon as well so I wouldn't imagine that his time would just be sat on the bench for the next um two months especially after um how well he's done uh in the past three or four five maybe yeah five days um because he did did impress against Manchester City as well. So it's a good, good problem to have. Just on, um, you know, Jorginho, we, we're talking about him being a bit exposed when he's playing on his own. Sam, would you would you tweak the system? So I know we a lot of times in this pod, we've spoken about Xhaka and how great he is going forward, but would you perhaps try and pull him back a bit and just get him a bit tighter to Jorginho? So in terms of the players screening that defence, you've maybe got two there instead of one, or do you think this system is so sort of drilled and set up to play the way it has that Arsenal and Arteta maybe just going to have to accept that when you play Jorginho, you leave yourself open a bit to having some deficiencies there? Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree with Art in, in that the, the system is is really set and that's and that's very much what he wants. I mean, I think the reason that Jorginho was exposed is, is what we were talking about earlier about the first half and the lack of sort of organised pressing and the intensity and that when Arsenal press well and press in the way that Arteta wants them to those gaps don't really exist or they shouldn't exist Um, the thing about Thomas Partey is that if those gaps do appear he can close them down in a way that few other midfielders in the Premier League can Jorginho can't as Art says he's not got the same athleticism the same sort of power across the ground so any sort of drop-off in that pressing intensity and organisation would be made worse by Jorginho being there rather than Partey. Um, I think it's fair to say that on Wednesday night against City, when 
Arsenal did press very well, I thought, and generally forced City to go long. Jorginho didn't look exposed in midfield then. He didn't look overrun. So playing Jorginho almost requires a system to be a, a, a protecting him more um, than it does for Party, who, who perhaps needs less protection because he can do more of it defensively himself. Um, but fundamentally, I think the, the, Xhaka, the Xhaka thing is, I'm more interested in the way the Xhaka's form has, has kind of dipped um, since the World Cup, really. Uh, obviously, the first half of the season, he'd reinvented himself as this unexpected attacking midfielder and uh, who's creating goals and scoring goals. And now he hasn't scored for 16 games. Um, and I know that we've talked about this before, especially last season. Um, but I just can't shake the thought that, especially now in this system, the way it's developed this season, Emil Smith-Rowe coming in, I think is going to provide a real... Um, challenge and competition for Xhaka because the positions that Xhaka takes up now in the way that this this team has become a very defined 4-3-3 it really does suit Smith-Rowe on paper and I think Zinchenko coming in too provides another level another layer sorry of defensive protection behind Smith-Rowe I'm very wary that when players don't play for months they become a lot better in people's minds but for that particular one I can't quite shake the feeling that it would be interesting to see Smith Rowe in that left side of midfield. Art, you were nodding vigorously, so I hope you agree. Yeah. So before you mentioned him, uh, for those who are listening, I did actually raise my hand uh, because I I did want to mention uh, Smith Rowe because I feel like when obviously he came into the team first, he was a ten, and then uh, Erdegaard came in a month later. And he was pushed out to the left. But even so, they were basically playing almost as two eights at that time, really, because you had Kieran Tierney bombing down the left. And naturally, Smith Rose coming inside, uh, drifting inside. So I feel like for me, it, it makes so much sense, uh, especially with one, he he's able to carry the ball really well. He's good in tight situations good off both feet as well so um it's something i'm i'm waiting impatiently for um because I, I do feel like it's um one of those one of those things that can just kind of reignite something in arsenal because he's he's a much better fit for that role than jacker is and jacker's done tremendously well there so um to kind of fill the team with even more like technicians and i know People were probably tired of me saying that uh, now, but um, I I just um, would like to see that. Um, obviously, when when Smith Rose uh, fit and ready to do so. Oh, oh, don't worry about it, mate. Keep keep talking about technicians because. As the kids say, you know ball. And <laughs> Simon, in this case, you know brawl, which is a terrible way of linking us to the uh, beef in the stands between the analysts. Um, Simon, I think you were on that side of the press box, weren't you? Um, I was on the other side, blissfully unaware of what was going on and frantically rewriting my copy after the late drama. So can you uh, break it down, preferably in, in sort of WWE commentary terms, <laughs> what really happened uh, up in the stands at Villa Park? 
Yeah, it was it, Charles Charles Watts with a steel chair out of nowhere. But uh, <laughs> it was, um, yeah, I mean, it was a bizarre. I mean, it was a chaotic. It felt like for me, and it was quite a chaotic game anyway. And it, the end to it sort of typified the match, and and the scenes in the press box were no no different really. Um, obviously, that Martinez goal went in, and um, I was sort of sat sort of one two rows from the back, and you could sort of hear this commotion going on behind us. Um, and I was sort of next to the, the Birmingham Mail local reporter, and, and we originally we sort of turned around. And we thought it was supporters who had been annoyed with the Arsenal guys celebrating um, because the press box is, as is often the case at grounds, is right in with the supporters. Um, and eventually, it was clocked that it was um, Miguel Molina of Arsenal and Victor Manas of Aston Villa. Um, going at each other. I mean, there's obviously, and you guys have heard there's been sort of physical education from what we could see. Uh, certainly a lot of verbal um, sparring going on in Spanish. Uh, Stewart sort of moved in fairly quickly to defuse it. Um, but there was, there was a lot of anger and those two guys were, yeah, absolutely fuming. And eventually Molina sort of, think was politely asked to move and also realised he needed to get out of the area because it wasn't going to defuse if he stayed there. And this is obviously Villa's home ground. So he did move away and it calmed down. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a bizarre sort of situation, which I remember I was chatting to James Ollie afterwards and we were sort of saying that there was, I think it was in a game in lockdown where Molina had at Southampton, I think had been annoying a few of the Southampton players with his, some of the shouting from the stands Um and Quester, I think. Might have been Quester, yeah, but it felt mm. like a situation of two two hot-headed uh, analysts who tension is just boiling over. Um, something the FA, I think, think we'll look into. I mean, if you'd imagine that had been on the dugout and two managers had been doing that, they wouldn't have been best pleased. So I, I think the same would apply in the stands. But yeah, a crazy sort of end to a mad match. And despite what Twitter was hoping for, I mean, if you go and read some of the replies and quote tweets... Um, it's me tweeting it. You'll have thought that Charles Watts came in and sort of diffused the situation and was having a full-on fight, but it was it was two analysts who I think just got caught up in the emotion of the game and it's understood that I think the two of them sort of cleared the air afterwards. But yeah, a mad end to to a mad game, really. I think I should just like we should probably make clear to a lot of people because they might not understand how this works. But at a lot of Premier League grounds and also lower league grounds. The, the clubs, like uh, first team analysts who have um, their laptops out looking at all the data and different camera feeds and stuff, they sit in the press box sort of with the journalists, generally slightly detached and removed from the journalists, but in the same rough area. At Arsenal, they don't sit in the press box. They have somewhere else they're sitting. But at lots of clubs, they do. I remember at Everton, I was only a few seats down from the press, from the Arsenal boys, for example. So they are in, they are in where we are. Um, but just because there's a fight in the press box does not mean that the journalists were fighting. Um, I know that cl club correspondence these days is more and more of a thing, but we are all still very professional. And uh, what's the word? Yeah, we're not we're not swinging fists in the, <laughs> as a result of a, a team scoring a goal or not. So yes, don't blame us. Blame the, uh, the laptop people. Um, but to be honest, like when that goal went in, it was such an outpouring of emotion and relief for Arsenal that you can see why instinctively that anyone associated with the club would, would celebrate and you know, look at the scenes in the away end and Art, you filmed a great video of that and it's just complete bedlam really so um, it's no surprise that they got excited and carried away and, and that's probably quite a nice thing you want you know if you're an Arsenal fan you want your 
staff and your members of the first team to be excited. Um, so yeah, so that's that covered off. Uh, let's see what the FA uh, come up with over that. Interesting to see if they get any footage of it. I don't know how that works at the park at the new ground. You can sort of see every seat with the CCTV, but I don't know about Villa Park. Let's move on to Access All Arsenal, uh, the part of the show where our listeners send in their questions and we try to answer them as best we can. Uh, please do keep them coming. We are at the Arsenal Beat, all one word, on Twitter. Um, Art, I'll start with you. Dave Murphy has asked, is it time for Vieira to get more significant minutes? His goals and assists per minute is only marginally worse than Odegaard's this season. He's definitely more of a final third guy. I think that's been very clear, even from before he kicked a ball for Arsenal. Um, I remember, I'm not sure if you felt the same, but it, it seemed like Mikel Arteta was very excited about him, more so than other signings, because of what he offers in the final third. And we obviously saw it at um, Brentford, Zurich as well, Zurich away. Um, there were flashes, but that's all they've really been, flashes, flashes, flashes. Mm. And... I guess um, what was encouraging about his performance at Villa, even though it was short, wasn't just, I guess, the composure to pick out Martinelli in that kind of moment, but also there's a moment um, where um, <laughs> Duran is running forward with the ball and mm. he's the only man back, but he he actually defends the situation really well. He doesn't Do dive in. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you know, debate him. Let's go. It, so he doesn't dive in. He he just kind of bides his time, and then he he gets support and then goes to the ball, and it's, it's not a great shot. So I thought he did quite well in that situation. Um, but in terms of more minutes, I I think you're probably going to see that naturally anyway when um Europa League comes back uh full swing. Um, I mean we saw that he started away at uh, Manchester City. The, the one thing I would say is he just needs to get into games quicker um, because it can take him half an hour. It can sometimes take him the first half to really get into a game. And that's where another kind of area where he's really different to Erdegaard. Erdegaard sets the tone in most games. Vieira is there to kind of put the finish, finish in pieces on a move. Um, so... Yeah, I think minutes will come, but it's quite um, interesting because they're very different players despite being used in a similar role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just I won't, I won't actually have a whole debate about that defending thing that I just felt <laughs> yet to come across earlier and there was like no real good reason that he didn't. And you could see Odegaard like screaming at him like, okay. why are you coming across? <laughs> uh, which is interesting. I've actually noticed that a few times with Vieira. He like, runs back really aggressively but without actually engaging the, the man mm. on the ball. So, I don't know. Maybe that's something that's galaxy brain beyond mine um <laughs> uh, he actually reminds me a bit of just quickly he reminds me a bit of Saka in a way that when Saka first came through at Arsenal he was like the inverse of most talented young players and that the end product was always there and then he added the way to the, the skill and the strength and beating people and, and showing his one-to-one -one ability Vieira's 
had that end product from the moment he walked through the doors and his numbers in Portugal last season showed that too. And, and now it's about adding to the end product rather than adding the end product to everything else, which I think is the other way around to to most young players. And I think bodes well for Vieira in the long term. I think he's he's clearly a guy with a lot of talent. Uh, question number two comes from Benjamin Simon. Comes from Benjamin. It's two Benny Blanco. <laughs> Benny, yeah. <laughs> uh, Simon. He's not called Benjamin Simon, he's called Benjamin, and I'm going to address it to you, Simon. Uh, after the Man United game, people were talking about Jesus not being able to get his place back in the team because Eddie is so good. And now people are saying Eddie's a championship striker at best. Why are people's opinions on Eddie so flippy floppy? Yeah, well, I mean, opinions, particularly on Twitter, will fluctuate hugely. Um, I mean, the truth is somewhere in the middle of them. When Eddie was on that good run... Um, you know, justifiably should be keeping his place in the team. I think what what we've seen in these um, past five games is the issue of not having um, the greater depth there where, you know, you need to be, if Eddie's in a situation like this, you need to be taking him out of the team or there needs to be competition for him to have his place. And when Jesus isn't there, it doesn't seem to be uh, an alternative player to play through the middle. And yeah, you're just seeing an, an area of the, when the squad is stretched, you have to stick by stick by a man. Arteta has sort of religiously stuck by him. Um, you know, there was a few rumours going around before that Nketiah was going to be dropped and Martinelli or Trossard was going to play as a false nine, which I think would have been justifiable to drop Nketiah or Martinelli. Um, but yeah, I think you're just seeing what happens when when you don't have that depth to be able to take someone out of the team who's struggling. Um, and we've, we've spoken about it before, the need to have Jesus back and have that conversation there is is evident and um yeah i think catch a big few games coming up um particularly if it, if jesus can get back to sort of around the start of march um which would be three months from the injury he'll know that he needs to finish off this little run of games if he really wants to keep his place before before jesus is fit yeah art a uh, friend of the pod peter hurst has asked this was the first premier league game since october last year when Arteta used all five of his subs, is it a problem that he doesn't rest key players more often? He's never really been a huge subs guy, even uh, when the squad was bloated. Uh, he he would religiously wait until 75 minutes, 80 minutes to make his first change. Um, there was obviously necessity to, to make changes at Villa. I think... Um, personally, I, I thought Trossard starting was the right decision before the game, but as the game went on, you could see Martinelli's qualities were much more needed. Is it a problem that he doesn't rest his key yeah. players more? And actually, this goes back to a very good question you asked in last week's press conference, Yeah, which did not get a good answer, but was a good <laughs> question, which was effectively, does Arteta wish that he could rotate more frequently than he does yeah so i re i remember asking that i thought i actually did think it would get a better answer <laughs> um, <laughs> do, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but um because you look at the bench on uh saturday and that's probably the strongest bench arsenal have had this season um and you hope that you'd be able to keep the core of that bench and then obviously Jesus and Partey coming back into the starting lineup then gives you a bit more luxury to make changes because 
then you look at that bench, maybe Jorginho and then Ketier on it. Um, I don't know who would drop out. Maybe Kivior Nelson, maybe. Um, and you're, you've got a really good squad there. I think that's a big thing where you saw the win on um, Saturday was very much kind of like last season, a squad win rather than just the starting eleven, which has been for so much of this season. I'm not saying you want to see it in like the way it panned out on Saturday, but you would like to imagine he will get more use out of that squad um, in the coming weeks and months. Yeah. Uh, Simon, just lastly, before we go on to the, the latest round of Guest Laguna, which obviously is what all the listeners are here for, um, I just want to ask a more general question about the, the title race and where this leaves Arsenal after a pretty eventful few days. Um, and I've been thinking about it a lot personally on the, the sort of the nature of that fourth goal and the outpouring of relief and emotion um, as soon as Vieira's pass found Martinelli running through. Um, it felt to me like a moment. Um, and then obviously an hour and a half later, City dropped two points at Nottingham Forest. And we knew there were going to be swings and we knew there were going to be a lot of changes in this in this title race. Um, where do you think the land lies now and what happens next? I think this, this week has just underlined... Um you know, how quickly the momentum can swing in the, in the title race. Um, but this does feel again, like one of those statement games. And and we were, can somehow we got onto the topic, didn't we on Wednesday night before the city game, we were talking about defining games in title races, you know, games where you thought, Oh, you know, that means they're going to do it. And um, I'm not saying Arsenal will do it, but I think if, if we were sat on this pod in May and looking at Arsenal as champions, I feel like this is one of the games you would, um, you would look back on and and say, yeah, that that was a big moment. And it was interesting on the radio when I was driving back from Villa Park, they were talking about it on on Five Live, and um, you know they made a they made the point that we can now call that run of Arsenal's a blip. Whereas if they had you know drawn at Villa Park or even lost, you would have called it you know the start of a collapse or a slump or a slide. And I think when you've got a free week coming up into a game, which Arsenal now have and Arteta will love, if we think about the the sort of mood externally and internally at Arsenal as if they would dropped points there you would have just had this week of everything festering on social media you know within Arsenal trying to get things on track whereas now it feels like the mood has sort of lifted and, and we'll notice that from Arteta in his press conference after the game the way we spoke to players and yeah the momentum is with them again but we could easily be here in two weeks and saying the momentum's with City so I, I feel like this week has underlined to us that this is going to go I feel like it's going to go right to the wire and it's going to be very close and it's going to be hopefully one of the best title races we've had in in years. Time now for what many people are calling the best game in in the podcast world. It's Guess the Guna, um, Art versus Simon. You've both done this before, but just in case you've got any new listeners... The way it works is as follows. Uh, I'm going to read a series of clues um, about a former Arsenal player or a current Arsenal player. Could be, could be either. Uh, and after each clue, uh, Simon and Art will have a guess. We'll start with Art because you're the youngest. 
and then alternate. So Simon, you guess first on the second clue. So that's how it works, pretty straightforward. And best of luck to all competitors. I have played in the top divisions of French, Italian, English, and German football. Art, you can pass or have an early guess. Um, I'll have a guess. Um, oh, I had someone in my head and then um, I realised he's missing from one of the countries, which is annoying. Um, um, Germany. Um, Gonna push you for an answer here, Uh, Pierre Mercabane. Incorrect. Or I should say, no, I think we've had issues before with the word incorrect not coming across the board yet. I'm gonna be more blunt. You are wrong. <laughs> um, French, German, Italian, English. Um, I'm gonna go Philippe Senderos. You are also wrong. Clue number two. I have won league titles in two different countries. Simon, you can go first or you can pass. French, Stefan Licksteiner? <laughs> yes. Oh no! That was the guy I was thinking of. And then I was like, playing France. Oh no. I mean, well played, Simon Collins. That's outrageous. Who did he um, play for in France? Lille. Played for Lille. Oh, oh well, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away by Collins getting that. But also massively disappointed that the game <laughs> the game is just over um wow yeah he played for uh he played for Leo oh. in league up um ah oh, if you had got that in the first guess that really would have been i'm special. actually fuming because I, I was <laughs> I, just gonna, yeah i, I just didn't think he played in france but i was like oh i'm just gonna say it and just go for it wow well i mean what a what an emphatic victory for for collins although I must admit to feeling pretty deflated and I clearly wasted <laughs> all my time putting together all these clues. I think you need you need to read out read out the other clues because Watts would 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 need those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in my final I I start I thought I started them off so like difficult. I thought it was gonna go ages till we got there. Uh, in my final match in my previous club before Arsenal, I missed a penalty. That was at Juve. I have lost three European finals at club level including the Europa League final, obviously, with Arsenal. I won my first trophy in football in 2003. That would have thrown you off a bit. Uh, when I joined Arsenal, I was described as a player who brings huge experience and leadership. After leaving Arsenal, I made only 20 appearances for my next club before retiring from the game. Before establishing myself in football, I completed an apprenticeship in banking. I don't know if you guys would have got that. That rang a bell when I found out about that. Uh, as a younger player, I was nicknamed Forrest Gump, which is fitting <laughs> given Tom Hanks at Villa Park. Uh, I've played at two European Championships and three World Cups. I won Syria seven times. And my favourite stat, I never played under Arsene Wenger and I never played under Mikel Arteta, which must be true of very, very few first-team Arsenal players. If not only him, there's probably a few young players who played for Emery in the Europa League who didn't play 
Wenger or Arteta, but as a first team player, it must just be him. Uh, yeah, I, and this would this would have been the moment you got it, Simon. I thought if you hadn't got it already, I joined Arsenal at the age of thirty four, but once claimed to have the physicality of a twenty eight year old. <laughs> it was one of one of the great press conferences. Given that within a week he was uh, effectively was it outpaced by Jurgen Lukaku, Brighton, who was one of the worst players in the Premier League seen in the last ten years. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's a bit harsh, but here we are. Uh, I, I doubt Jurgen's listening. Um, and that's that. So thank you very much for listening. Well played, Simon. Um, sorry that you ruined the game for everyone else, but such is life when you uh, <laughs> when you know that much about Arsenal. So yeah. So thank you again and stay safe. Uh...